The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Welcome to Common Ground. I'm Shelley Graff. I'm the associate director here. I share the teaching responsibilities with Mark Nunberg, our guiding teacher, on Wednesday nights. Uh, Mark's on retreat now, so I'll be here tonight. Uh, Win Fricky will be here next week, I believe, and then I'll be here the next two Wednesdays. So I've been <coughs> exploring in some of the teachings I've been doing lately, This one of the maps that the Buddha lays out for us, the map of the five aggregates. And it can feel like somewhat of a sophisticated map, um, maybe even complicated or confusing um, to really understand exactly what the Buddha was talking about when he uh, taught in this way. But hopefully we can take a look at it in a way that makes it feel also accessible. I mean, it's true that the Buddha was this person, just like we are, who um, had this extraordinary mind, really, and capacity to watch his mind in such a way that he was able to notice with a lot of specificity, a lot of subtlety, and then be able to remember it and teach about it and lay it out in this fairly linear way. So it's kind of amazing to me when I reflect on it like that. Um, and also, we don't have to be that subtle in our noticing to get something really useful out of the teachings. And hopefully, in our own way, we can digest them so that it makes a lot of sense and still supports our awakening, our freedom in every possible way, with all the depth that the Buddha pointed us to. <clears throat> so this map of the five aggregates is this way of dividing up our experience, our human experience, if you will, this, a way of really answering the question, well, what is this? What is this experience, this human experience, this thing I called my life? What is this? And one of the reasons why I appreciate this map in particular is because it, uh, well, it divides up our experience in two big categories, mind and body, and one part body and four parts mind. So really emphasizing this, the impact of the heart or mind. You can use these words interchangeably, the heart or mind. We might even use the word nervous system to talk about the sensitivity of the heart or mind. Or sometimes I like the word constitution because it kind of puts it all together for me. So five aggregates. The first one is form. And to simplify that, we might say body. And all of the sense experience that comes through the body. So what we, the ears and what we hear, mouth, the tongue, and what we taste, 
the body and the sensations that are felt in the body and so on. <clears throat> and then these four aggregates of representing the mind. So from form to feeling and not the kind of feeling that uh, we might think of like emotional experience, but this what happens when we meet experience, the mind goes like, or the heart goes, oh, that was pleasant, or I like that, or that was uh, unpleasant, I didn't really like that. Or often when there's experience that's neither pleasant nor unpleasant, we just sort of check out and don't notice it at all, right? So you might have noticed this in the sitting, in the meditation, that right away when I mentioned, or maybe even before, unpleasant body experiences, you probably already noticed some, right? You didn't need me to say that to know, like, the pain in the knee. But, and maybe even the pleasantness, like, oh, this kind of settling experience feels good in the body. Feels good, the mind knows it feels good, right? The settling, ah, that's pleasant. But there's all of this other experience of heart and body that just we're kind of oblivious to. So feeling, vedna is the Pali word, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral experience. It happens right away when we know, when, when an experience, when we're experiencing something. You know, it happens right away. It's hardly, we don't usually notice the all the flavors in the food, the first thing we often notice is whether it's good or bad, right? Whether we like it or we don't like it. Whether we want to keep eating it or not. Yeah. So form, feeling, and then perception. And this is the way the mind really makes sense of the world. So perception is something, all of these <clears throat> aspects of this human experience are <clears throat> I'm a bit of a cold, so I'm going to do that a lot. That's okay. Um, aspects of our human experience are uh, things that are going on all the time. So these are just experiences that are happening, and we don't always notice them, but they're always happening and always changing. Like the experience of form is shifting the experience of feeling is always shifting. And the experience of perception is always shifting also. So it's like perception is the way that we like name what we notice. So door, foot, floor, meditation hall, people, things like that. And more sophisticated experiences too. Perception. And then the fourth one is mental formations or volitional formations. And we can simplify this bundle of experience as thought, opinions, ideas, views, mental formations. These are the proliferations of mind that we tend to respond to. And then the fifth one is 
consciousness. And we might think of consciousness as awareness. In the discourses the Buddha used, talked about consciousness like, uh, like, a, like a magic trick, like a magician's trick, right? Moving, like if somebody were doing a magic trick, you might see all the things happening, the cups moving around. I can't really think about, I mean, I don't really know magic tricks, but I just remember this, you know, children. Three cups, and there's something under one of them, and you move it all around, and then the person stops, and you point to, like, oh, it's not there, right? Put the cup back on top of it, move it all around. Like, I, I remember, it's right there. Oh, it's not there, right? So this kind of consciousness is this awareness that, just awareness that allows us to know when we're in contact with experience. Like, oh yeah, it's like this. I know I'm awake. I know I'm alive because of this. Right? It's that initial noticing. And so that initial noticing, that awareness of that awareness that's there that allows us to know we're in we're having a sense, our senses are working. So we might have awareness of contact with the sound, for example. Awareness, conscious of form or body, sound, and noticing that sound is pleasant, so feeling is there, right? And then that pleasant sound, or that's a bird, so Now we've got a perception that's there. And now that the perception is there, then we might start to proliferate about that. Mental formations start to pop. Oh yeah, is it this kind of bird or that kind of bird? I really like it outside. This type of weather is good or not good or whatever. It's kind of how the process happens. This experience of aggregates, one expression of one way of describing the experience of aggregates. And often we're not noticing this happening because it's happening so fast. Right? All of these more subtle experiences are occurring, but the mind, but we're not grokking it like that. And we just notice this kind of continuity, this it seems like continuity. And the only way that we can describe that, because it feels like it's a thing, is we go like, oh yeah, that's me. Right? This is mine. This is my experience. I'm having this. I know because this is Shelley, is living this life. And, right? But we don't know that, we don't really see that this thing that I call a self or a Shelley is really this these heaps of experience that there's not really a solid it's not that it's not really that personal it's not really it's hard to you know feel like where well where is Shelley is Shelley the awareness is Shelley the thoughts about experience is Shelley the perceptions is Shelley the sensations in the body Shelly, what the ear does, you know, where, 
is the experience of Shelley in all of this. And this is one of the core teachings, right? this experience of this impersonal nature that we misinterpret all the time. We misunderstand what's happening for us, and we take it to be so personal. Right? So these five constituents, I like that word, sometimes that's word, that word is used in the, in the uh, scriptures, constituents, it, for me it, it uh, communicates a sense of responsibility. So these aggregates are responsible for the construction of a self. They're de- the, the self is dependent on, on these aggregates and the way we misinterpret them. But we can learn how to see a little more clearly. And in learning to do that, the beauty of the map is that we can see that and then be free of that constriction of needing to take all of this personally, of needing to take all of the things that occur in our life, all of the experiences that we have as some kind of personal affront, right? Or something that is to benefit us or not benefit us, something that's to our detriment. We can see these experiences just as a proce- as processes, a flow, as processes or being in some sort of flow of nature. <clears throat> so the aggregate, each of the aggregates are empty or hollow or insubstantial. There's not so much of a a thing that's there, not so much of a self that's there, but processes coming into being and falling apart, coming into being and falling apart. Processes of feeling, right? Process of pleasant experience that bursts on the scene and then is no longer there in the next moment. One of my teachers, Andrea Fella, talks about the aggregates quite a lot. I've kind of grown up um, with this map because of her. She just seems to have takes to them and is able to communicate them in a way that has made a lot of sense and has allowed me to really practice and understand through my own experience uh, what this is all about. But sometimes she'll use this, uh, talk about like a rainbow, right? A rainbow isn't so much of a thing in and of itself, But a rainbow is dependent on light that moves in a particular way and the rain, so water, moisture that is there, you know, has been there in a particular way and an observer, right, in the right position. If any of those things aren't there in the right place, then we won't see the rainbow, So the self is, this is like the aggregates. Each of those components doing their job, moving at such a fast pace that we don't really notice, and we make this natural conclusion, oh, this is me. But we can learn to see them for each of their, we can learn how to practice with each of these heaps or bundles of experience in a way that deconstructs that for us. (laughs) 
And the way that the aggregates, this is really important, that the way that the aggregates come together in any moment, they can coalesce in a particular way that really, that really makes us suffer. Yeah. So like if we, yeah, so many examples of this in our lives. The body, I mean, we just can take our relationship to our body as one example of that. We have this body that we think is ours, and we expect it to be a particular way. And then when it's not the way we expect it to be, it's a problem for us. We don't see this body as having a life of its own, really. And I'd like to say that it's kind of funny when I say that to myself, like, sweetie, your body, this body has a life of its own. But it's true. You know, I give it the food that I think it needs and the exercise that I think it needs, and I sometimes don't care that much, and sometimes I care a lot. And I, but I expect that it's going to be working the way it should be working today, tomorrow, the next day. And then when it doesn't work, I'm like, oh, well, why is that happening, right? Well, because there's just all of this stuff happening inside the body. All of the systems are working the way that they work, and they use the air and the nutrients that I give it in the way that it can, and there's just so many factors. Right? So how it's impossible for me to really have control or say over what my body is doing. I'm never going to be able to prevent it from getting sick, for example, or age, for example. Yet it can feel like such a betrayal when those things happen. Like, what? I did everything right for you, and you're doing this? Right. I, made, I took all the precautions, and you're sick? Are you serious? Yeah. But that's the way it is. So learning how to see the body as a organic set of processes that are living by their own rules can feel really freeing. It can feel really liberating. Not in a way that makes us not care, but in a way that helps us take care and not be, feel so betrayed or Knocked off our square when the body does what the body does. So I wanted to pick one of the aggregates and just fill it out a little bit more for us tonight. So I decided to pick perception. So like I said, perception... Perception is a way that our hearts, minds, make sense of our world. So it reconstructs sense data that comes in and makes it into something that we can use. Yeah. And this is happening all, like I said, this is happening all the time. So you might just, even while we come into this meditation hall, this means something to us. 
We come into the room and we call it a meditation hall. And we might even call it a sacred space or something like that. Or we have a perception of what this is, you know, what it means to be here. And we might even think about, you know, if you looked around, I don't want you to do this, but you could look around and, you know, watch our minds kind of perceive each person here, right? I have a perception of people that I know, people that I see from week to week, and like, oh, these people are, you know, whatever, committed to practice, or people that I haven't seen in a long time, like, oh, recommitting to practice, or people that I know that are, I might say, are friendly people, right? Or we might have this perception of people that come to common ground as being calm people. Or people who want calm in their lives and tend to be, live a life of integrity or something like that. But perception is always taking in information, taking in through our senses, and finding a a useful purpose for it, right? It's all, we don't actually have to throw perception out the window either. And in fact, it's not going to be useful for us to try to bypass perception or any of the aggregates, any of the ways in which our human experience makes itself known to us, because this is just what's going to be here for us. But we can get to know the processes so that we're not, uh, we aren't, I can't think of the word, reactive to them, right? Like we don't, if we're not familiar with what's happening, then we only have one choice to act out our impulses. But if we can learn like, oh, the mind is perceiving And we can use our practice to connect with the experience of perception, know what's actually happening, then we can make choices. We can respond in skillful ways. We can even train the mind to develop new perceptions. So from this perception of the body is a permanent fixed thing, it has to do what I want it to do, it's going to do what I make it do, you know, I'm going to feed it, I'm going to give it the right exercise, and it's going to behave and stay well, for example. We can change our perception, we can train the mind to see this body as an impermanent, impermanent, uncontrollable phenomenon, and learn how to have some peace with that. Like, oh, can I be okay with this right now? Can I be okay with I've got this digestive issue happening and I have no idea why? Oh, look at that. I can train, I can notice like, oh, the mind that wants to resolve that problem and chooses to, oh, wait, I see the mind that wants to resolve that problem. I know this is perception happening. I wonder if there's another way to perceive this experience. Oh, don't have any say. Don't know what's happening on the inside. The body's doing what the body does. The body's working. So we don't have to be imprisoned by our perceptions, but we can use our training to actually cultivate perceptions that feel useful and healthy and lead us in the direction of freedom. So perception... 
Yeah, perception reconstructs sense data. Perception also is what the mind does when it picks out it picks out important characteristics of our experience. It picks out some information and not all information. And then it also relies on previous information. So in this way you can see that perception is a subjective experience. We're all sort of picking out important pieces of information in our environment, in our internal processes, and other things are kind of not not landing for us, right? So for me, this uh, experience, the experience of anxiety has been something that's been here for most of my life. And because I've taken a lot of care uh, around, uh, I've learned to care for this anxious heart in many ways over, at least over the past 10 years, even the the very subtle beginnings of anxiety, like that, the, a thought that may lead to another thought, or the sensation in the body, just right here, that's going to move up the throat. You know, just even the subtlest noticing is like, oh yeah, there it is, right? But the mind perceives because it's so used to noticing that it's kind of going to it's going to notice that before it notices anything else, right? It's going to miss a lot of other experience. It might miss a lot of pleasant experience because it's got this habit of going to that unpleasant body sensation. There's a, some of you might know this, there's lots of studies now. There's some early studies around um, psychological studies where children were shown images of faces and some faces with angry looks on their face or some in this one particular study, faces uh, people fairly neutral expressions on their face. And children who have had some experience with physical abuse in their life look at those neutral faces in a really quick time, perceive those faces as angry faces. Right? So you can see how previous experience really informs the present, the pre- our present perception, making it a, a, subjective, a subjective thing. Perceptions are also closely associated with our own views, ideas, and beliefs. So our perceptions aren't ever going to be just uh, raw input, right? Remember, the mind is making sense of what it brings in and is integrating that, that sensory data with its views and experiences, with opinions and also previous experiences. So often we... we we have this idea that what we're seeing is just fact, right? But it's not. It's, n- it's never just factual. It's always this integrated experience. Perceiving, this process of perceiving is this integrated and subjective experience that relies on past information, subjective, selective information, And just like I mentioned, this being a sacred space, it might not be that to some, some of you. It might feel sacred to some and not sacred to others. 
I remember when my oldest goddaughter was really little, she was loved the fall and she was fascinated with dandelions and they were so beautiful to her and she would just like walk wander around the yard barely and like pick them and look at them spend all kinds of time with them and they were just weeds to me right but her experience was different I actually remember coming into this building before it was a med before it was remodeled it was an old diner and David Asselstein was the uh, contract the, the person who was doing all of the most a lot of the work and the contractor the construction manager I think I don't know why I can't and I remember coming in here one one day and I was gonna help do something and it just looked like nothing to me <laughs> like just a shell of a building and I was overwhelmed by it like oh my goodness what are we going and kind of walking around overwhelmed and couldn't imagine it and I think I said something like that to David and I can't even imagine how this is going to look like a meditation hall a meditation center and he was just beaming like oh I can <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so perception it looked like a shell of a dirt and boards and nothingness to me and it was an overwhelming experience but to David it was something really exciting he can imagine or different perceptions the form and color that comes through our eyes and the mind creates concepts so what I'm experiencing experiencing is not actually the, the thing but it's my mind's construction of that thing right One of the things that Joseph Goldstein says sometimes in his talks is, like somebody told him this once, I think, that the thoughts of your mother are not your mother. The thoughts you have of your mother are not your mother, right? Similar to what Anais Nin said, that we don't perceive things as they are, we perceive things as we are. The subjective experience that's always at play, working, working, working. So perception is a reflection of something that's out there, but it's really filtered through your mind's file cabinet <laughs> of all the previous information and integrated experiences. Yeah. I'll read a little bit um, from the Buddhist words. This is what the Buddha said about perception. Now suppose in the last month of the hot season a mirage were shimmering and a man with good eyesight were to see it, observe it, and appropriately examine it. To them, seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in a mirage? In the same way, a person a monk sees, a person sees, observes, and appropriately examines any perception that is past, future, or present, internal or external, blatant or subtle, common or sublime, far or near. To them, seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in perception? So this image of a mirage, right? Something that, a mirage, this 
water, that the mind whips up this image of water because it's something we want. And a mirage is something that we keep chasing and never actually get there, right? Keep chasing it, keep trying to find it, but never actually arrive. So perception is like this. It's like this, this self, this, uh, our wanting to know, like to grok it, to resolve something, to figure it out, like, oh, it's this, it's this. Right? But that key, it keeps shifting. It keeps shifting. I've had this experience with my partner where you know, I've, we've been talking and she says something exactly like the things that she always says. And I go like, oh yeah, this is who she is. This is how she talks to me. And then these other moments where I've been talking to her and she says something that feels like, I don't even know this person. <laughs> and those are beautiful moments because they really shine the light on perception. And often, when she says something that strikes me as being totally different, something really outside the box, that's when I notice all the other moments. I reflect on all the other moments that I've expected her to be, that I felt some kind of security in her being exactly the way that I perceive her to be. Right? I know this person. She's like this. She responds in these ways. And then she responds differently. And I'm like, what? Kind of rocked for a minute. But also can train the mind to notice, like, oh, perception is like this. It shifts. Like my experience of her is shifting. But this, you know, always trying to make sense of something is, is this experience of craving, this wanting, wanting there to be some ground that we can stand on, actually. So we don't have to try to get rid of perception, like I said. We can actually learn how to wrap our arms around this human experience. It's this perception is just one way that this human being wants to be safe, wants to be comfortable, wants to be able to predict what's going to happen, wants there to be some permanence. We misperceive experience because we're looking for that. We're looking for some permanent, fixed thing that we can count on, like, okay, now I know I can count on this. But the problem is that it's never that. It's never been that. The body has never been this permanent, fixed thing that we can count on day to day. Our relationships aren't that. People aren't like that. So we can start to wake up to this reality that's always been there, the reality that all experiences impermanent, for example. And people are always changing. And in waking up to these realities, it's actually, it's actually quite liberating. But we have to 
we have to be really caring uh, because it's not that easy to see deeply into these truths. It's not actually easy for this heart to rest there. And so there's going to be a lot of resistance. A lot of resistance. So to really be able to see, oh yeah, human beings suffer because we crave, we want there to be some ground. I want my partner to be the same person she was today, even though there's the same person today she was yesterday, even though though there's no chance of that. Why would there be a chance of that? Like every moment we're always experiencing our lives slightly differently than the moment before. Every interaction with a human being changes us in some way. We're influenced by each other. Our experiences in the world, our relationship to the earth, the people we encounter in our jobs the things that hurt us, the things that caused us great joy. So why would, why would we expect that we would be the same given all of that, all of, that's hap- all of what has happened in a single day? Why would we be the sa- exactly the same tomorrow that we were today? It would be like saying none of that mattered. Right? But that's not the way it is. It always matters. So with a lot of tenderness, we learn to accept the way that the mind misperceives, really. I'm really interested in understanding social things, (laughs) like... uh, the constructions of race and gender and um, how we influence each other and treat each other and where the Dharma, what the Dharma has to teach us about how to uh, live uh, harmoniously and, and also with conflict in, in useful ways. And so one of the ways that I've been really interested in, sometimes we'll hear at Common Ground we've been um, interested in unraveling oppression or understanding oppression for many years. And so many of the teachers, Mark and I and others, um, talk about race and racism, for example, um, pretty regularly these days. And we've been together doing some trainings and such. And sometimes we'll get questions from people like, well, how is this relevant? How does this connect with the Dhamma? I came here to listen to the Dhamma, but now I'm listening to something about race. And for me, this, there are many teachings, but this is one of the teachings that makes this really relevant to me. This teaching about perception. And so, for example, if I take whiteness and I understand whiteness through this lens of perception, I might see how, how, how perception influences my lived experience as a, as a white person. Right? That my perception of disconnection from ancestry, my perception of individualism that's born 
out of this uh, perception that I need to stand on my own two feet, leaves me feeling disconnected, for example. And those, how those perceptions aren't so, aren't, they aren't actually personal, right? They're not personal, they're not about Shelley, it's about a group frame that I don't see because of all of this privilege that I live in, I don't actually have to. So it's, it's like that. We don't actually, you know, sometimes we don't, when life is going along fairly smoothly for us, we don't have the incentive to really look beneath the surface. We don't have the incentive to notice that, oh, this is just pleasant experience that's having some impact on perception, and that perception is having some say, and I'm responding to that, and now my mind is proliferating with these thoughts and ideas and beliefs that I'm generating to construct a sense of security. So the experience of dukkha, or suffering, pain, discomfort, however we might call that, heart pain, it can be really useful. It's not something that we have to uh, really try to avoid even, but we can see its utility in our capacity to wake up. There's this uh, little thing from Ajahn Sutito, a Western monk, I really appreciate. He's kind of funny too sometimes. He says, "Then then what one perceives one thinks about. Now, when one's thinking, a little more action starts occurring. There's more to do with personal history, adding this narrative of I'm always this, or I'm like this, or you're like that. So what one thinks about, one complicates. Then there's this word complicate, or papancha, which also translates as proliferates, or projects, or diversifies. Suddenly it becomes all kinds of manifestations. It's this, it's that, it shouldn't be, it could be, it ought to be, it reminds me of this, what am I going to do about that? Does this sound familiar? I call it the papancha fairy. She waves a hand, a wand, and then suddenly all of the steps, all of the stuff comes rising up. You can drop one or two words like current president, and bong, all of the stuff comes rising up. Cascades of emotionally charged thought perceptions of he, she, it, can't, we, shouldn't, and how dare they, and so on. You feel drenched in gobs of past, present, and future. That's the flooding based on what perception brings up. So it's really in our best interest to start to notice perception and then what, what comes of that. Like, what do we do with that? What does the mind do with that? Because we make all kinds of mistakes. We take perception to be reality, and we, are, we mess things up royally. right? Just use it. You could use this as an experiment for a, a couple of hours just go walking around your neighborhood and watching all of the ways that your mind is judging, perceiving, and judging 
and how that is related to your own beliefs. You know, this is our practice to do this without denying that it's actually happen- happening because that's the only way, that's the only real possibility we have at being together in community in healthy ways. We have to see this happening so that we don't, aren't, aren't only, we aren't just dependent on reacting. We need to be able to see, use our practice to see and go like, oh yeah, I don't have to hate this. This is what it's like to be a human being. Perception's happening. Oh yeah, it's integrating with my past experience just like this. Ooh, I don't like what I see in my mind, but that's okay. I can be with it. Oh yeah, it's like this, right? Feel the pain of that. Oh yeah, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to hate this way. Okay, I'm going to take that in. I'm just going to let that land. And I'm going to see if I can train my mind how to see things differently. Goes. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. But it is time.